Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp, Bob. I hope you're ready for the next episode on one of the nation's leading podcasts of church organization and replanting, according to the Southern Baptist Convention 2022 Book of Reports. I'm going to milk that for all it's worth. You are, man, all the way until maybe the next following year. <laughs> wow, that's fun, though, man. So I don't even know if anybody's going to listen to this this week is everybody's going to be, they'll catch up on it at some point. We are batch recording here ahead of time because we're all going to be on the road, all kinds of places. And so this one should come out July 6th, just a few days after Independence Day. We are still a little unclear on our July 4th plans. Normally, our tradition is to go to my oldest sister's house in Aiken, South Carolina, just north of Augusta, Georgia, and spend it there. They've got a great house in a, in a great neighborhood that's like the neighborhood does this fun neighborhood fireworks show around the lake, and it's just awesome. And But with everything going on with my youngest sister and her brain tumor, it is possible, if not likely, that we will end up in Arkansas spending some time there with her. And so we will either be in South Carolina or Arkansas or on our way, probably on our way back from one of those two or just gotten back when this podcast airs. Where where in the world will the Bickfords be for July 4th? Jimbo, we'll be right here in Webster Groves, Missouri. And that's one of the few weeks that we're actually in uh, in town. And we've got some some vacation and then some other things are they're taking us out. But, you know, Webster Groves does the 4th. They do a really big parade on the 4th and fireworks shows and all this kind of stuff. Well, it's not gone without some controversy here in the Fairburg of Webster. Okay. Yeah, we so every every year there's some kind of uproar about some parade entrant, uh, a float, people walking and you you're okay to walk in the parade as long as you have a culturally approved message. But should you stray outside of those bounds, then there will be articles written about you in the newspaper and in the Facebook communities. And you might even make it to the city council meetings where people ask that you not be allowed to march in the parade again if you have a message contrary. So wow, wow. so you just never know what how, how the Webster Parade is going to go. This year, I, I imagine it's going to be a lot of fireworks before the fireworks, if you know what I'm saying. So, yeah. so my youngest is coming in town. Her roommate from college is going to come in town. And, and uh, so we're going to do the parade. We'll probably do some cooking out in the backyard. We, we probably will invite some neighbors over and then we'll catch the fireworks. And so that'll be be a time. And so we're trying to train Daisy the pup. She hasn't been mentioned on a couple of podcasts recently. Oh, yeah. But Daisy the pup, we're trying to make sure that she's going to be desensitized to fireworks. Our other dog about had a heart attack every time fireworks would come around. But Daisy doesn't seem to be scared of anything, Jimbo, which is pretty good. Okay. So. Yeah, we'll have a, a daisy. So how do you how do you how do you train a dog to be ready for fireworks? Do you like wake them up with <laughs> with <water> rockets? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> no, according to the internet, Jimbo, what you do is you find a fireworks display. It's online, maybe YouTube or something, oh, and then okay. you 
you stream it over your Bluetooth speakers and you just crank it up. <laughs> yeah, that is much less involved or dangerous than what immediately came into my brain. <laughs> yeah. And then while that big booming sound's going off, you just feed the dog treats and speak in a nice, pleasant voice to the dog while while the fireworks are going off. So I, we're we're probably in uh, entering into some days where our window of desensitization needs to engage at full speed. Yeah. Yeah, here on the west side of Jacksonville, the only controversy is, was that fireworks or was that gunshots? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's uh, the game we start playing in late June, early July. West Jacks. West Jacksonville. So one of the things you talked about to, to transition us beautifully into our topic for today, you were talking about the parade in Webster Groves and how there is a formal and informal process of who, who can get to be in the parade and if you upset everyone informally you might get reprimanded formally in <laughs> city council session yeah man we've been diving into i would say almost some master's level discussions here recently on organizational health church health leadership of the church and as we are leading change one of the things that you brought up offline as we were talking about this together is there really is kind of two ways that we get permission to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of there are informal and formal ways to get permission to get things going. So talk to us about what is the difference? What are the difference between those two things? Yeah, let me give you a definition for formal permission. So formal formal permission is the act of garnering approval via a recognized an agreed upon process for a decision or action, right? So that's kind of a textbook sounding type of definition, but this is bylaws, Jimbo. It is policies and procedures. It's committee meeting guidelines. It is business meeting guidelines, right? So we are in a group. We're working towards a particular task and we have to decide how we're going to decide something. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's a couple of weeks ago. That's what we experienced in the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, and they would have this thing called point of order. Right. Where people would say point of order. I think we're doing something that goes against the way we're supposed to conduct business or have discussions or make decisions. And so there would be a ruling and people would be a point of order. Well taken. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. Or they would receive a ruling point of order. Not well taken. Right. Which means. Yeah, that didn't that's not going to fly. Right. And so what it enabled us to do, whether we agreed with it or not, is enabled us to do what we were called there to do to, to move forward with the decision. So in a church, Jimbo, here's the deal that you really have to understand. Replanters, most declining churches operate by business meeting principles and Robert's rules of order and they do business meetings. And you cannot ignore the process of decision making and expect the support of the congregation. Like you just can't do it, right? You just can't go outside of those bounds, right? And it's not going to work. Hey, and give a shout out. I want to give a shout out. We should put in the show notes last year around the time of the Baptist Convention, we had on the Baptist bouncer himself, Dr. Craig Colbert, who is a Floridian here, works for the Florida Baptist Convention and is one of the parliamentarians for the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, He is the guy who stands behind you and taps on your shoulder if you take too long. And he is a friend of the boot camp. We had an episode with him last year and he walks through how to understand Robert's rules of order. Yeah. I love what he just talked about. There there is a there's a there's a way to do it in a way that 
helps everybody move forward, but there's not a rigidity in it that we would expect in, in the sense of there's, the, he provided some great guidance. So we'll, we'll definitely link those show notes. The other thing I would say is replaners have to know the process and policies and work within them, even if you want to change them. Yeah. Right. Especially if you want to change them. Yep. So one of the things that is great about going to replant is you get to figure out all the things that need to be worked on. So you never show up at the office and go, I'm not sure really what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> right? you, just, <laughs> you just never show up and go. Yeah, I recently overheard two church planters talking to each other. One had been a church planter. I mean, I, I don't know what point you quit being a church planter and just become a pastor. But I don't know. We need a line there. We've got to define that. But it's it's out of the purview of our uh, it's not in order. <laughs> yeah. So one of those one was a friend of mine who's been a church planted a church about eight years ago. And the other one was brand new who, who started right for the pandemic and it has it or right in the pandemic and it hasn't grown a lot yet. And he said to what I would call the legacy planner, he said, I'm at that point of church planting where I don't have enough members for me to do a whole lot. So I'd love to just go get coffee and chat for a while if you want. And it like blew my mind. I was like, <laughs> I, 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 I cannot remember a moment of pastoring where I've thought, I got nothing to do. Oh I, man. I can't like my daughter asked me the other day, what do you do when you get bored, dad? And I was like, man, I, I don't know that I can remember the last time I was bored. So yeah, I mean, as a replanter, there's always plenty to work on and maybe changing the bylaws or the, your policies and structures is one of those things that you need to be working on. Yeah. And let me give you a couple of questions. Uh, I'll give our replanters some questions to use in thinking about having demonstrated a willingness to work within the systems that exist and the by, use the bylaws that are presently active in the church. Here's some ways to ask questions about them to lead towards changing them, right? Here's the first one. Is the decision-making structure, is this decision-making making structure leading to the accomplishment of our mission, mm. right? Here's the one that's related to that. Is this decision-making structure hindering the accomplishment of our mission? Then I've told the vacuum cleaner story, but basically we needed to buy a vacuum and we didn't have enough people. So we had to wait an extra month to officially buy a vacuum at the replant. This was the, this is the early days, Jim, but I was a month in. Right. And so we were able to say, you know what, the way we're making decisions here is not super effective. Right? Yeah. And then here's the question that gets you working together with leaders who you've garnered their respect. You ask them this, how might we more effectively make decisions on important matters? Is there, is there another way we can make decisions on important matters? What I found is, is that most often the people want to participate in decision-making, the big, the big decisions, but not every decision. Now, some people are going to listen to this and go, yeah, well, you don't know old Bill who goes to my church. Now, I don't, I know, I do know old Bill, right? <laughs> and old Bill does want to, he wants every, like every, like he just does, right? But ultimately, most people are not like old Bill and just want to gum up the, the works and stick sand in the gears, right? They, they just want to know the big decision. So we often talk in the replanting world about the big four. If you can get your church to agree in the future, having demonstrated a willingness to work within the policies, the, the bylaws and the procedures that exist, if you can get them to agree to only voting on the big four, which would be this, the call of the senior pastor, should there be a vacancy, the annual budget, which also really represents the ministry plan for the year, 
acquisition or disposition of property or debt, and then any enduring changes to the Constitution and bylaws. If you can get everybody to only agree to vote on the big four, then what you can see is the committees and leadership teams and that decentralized leadership group that we were talking about last, you know, last couple episodes, you empower them to do what you've approved that they would do within the budget and also within the existing governing documents or the bylaws. And so then it streamlines your decision-making. And then you could go to monthly business meetings or you could go to quarterly business meetings. Yeah, there might even be an initial rejection of like, man, I don't even, I don't even you know, what is Robert's Rules of Order? Why are we letting that guide us? Mm-hmm. We've got scripture. I would just say, man, there are a couple of times in the book of Acts, especially where we see like Acts chapter 6, when there is debate over if people, if the widows are being fed in a fair manner. I think even a, a maybe a, a better example, Acts chapter 15, mm-hmm. or the Jerusalem Council, uh, where there's this theological debate over uh, Gentiles and what happens with Gentiles as far as how Jewish do, does a Gentile have to be to be a follower of Jesus. And mm-hmm. Paul, who is not ever short of his own opinion, submits himself to a structure and a system, Mm -hmm. right? And he goes back and there's this kind of council and there's, and it doesn't give us the details on how the meeting went and what a point of order would have looked like in that. But it does give us an example of there are moments when conversations, decisions are so important that we can't just go off our intuition or hallway conversations. I, I said this in the episode we had with Craig Colbert. No meeting has ever made me more grateful for Robert's Rules of Order than the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. There are just so many people in that room. If we did not have a clear structure, it would be chaos. <laughs> and I mean, it already can feel like chaos sometimes, yes. even with the structure. But even in our, there are so many meetings. I there are several meetings I led as a replant pastor that I now wish I would have paid more attention to a proper order of how to run a business meeting, just to make sure that people get a voice and that things are are done well in a way that we make the right decisions together. Yeah, you've got to know those. And here's the other thing I would, a caveat I would give you, understand that in America, the way that we work, your bylaws are legally binding. There you go. And man, you got to be careful. If you start operating outside of your bylaws, man, you can get in some hot water like and it can it can turn ugly really bad and so even if you do it right according to the bylaws you can get into some legal processes but if you've done it according to the bylaws then you're protected mm-hmm. and you get you get to court and somebody decides they're going to sue you because of the way you did things and don't act like that doesn't happen it happens then your bylaws are if you just will operate by the bylaws that that will protect you mm-hmm. let's talk about informal permission so informal permission Here's a way to think about it. It's the leadership skill and insight, which recognizes the power of influence and influencers and knows that forward progress is off, that forward progress often moves at the speed of relationships. Mm. Right. So here's the deal. Every church has influencers or gatekeepers, and they're the ones you can always identify them here. They're the ones that when a discussion in the church body or team or committee, when it turns to the point of decision or is considering a step in a forward direction that's different from preservation of the past, everybody waits till they speak or everybody looks at them. You have just identified 
the person of influence. Now, they may be in a position of influence, but oftentimes they're not, right? They're just a person of influence. So now one thing to think about, Jimbo, is these folks are not necessarily problem people. They are certainly process-oriented folks, and oftentimes they're the ones who have potentially spoken up or participated or suggested the hard decisions that have kept the church moving forward or alive or thriving. They're, they're the folks who are, are trying to care for the organization in many, many ways. Now, there, these also sometimes can be a dysfunctional person who wants to keep the church from moving forward, right? So you have to discern, is this person part of the problem or are they part of the solution just in terms of they really care about the church and they want to help the church maintain uh, its viability? Yeah, and so it's so important to distinguish that and then and then either way approach it with discipleship. If they are a problem person, of man, rather than just booting them or ignoring them, build trust within the relationship. Stephen Covey wrote a book called The Speed of Trust, and he talks about how in organizations, really, we can't, we cannot, and he's really addressing this kind of informal permission piece in that book. And he talks about how in organizational leadership, we can only go as fast as people trust us. Mm-hmm. And he says, there's a quote he says in there, I just found it, I love it. He says, in a high trust relationship, so when when we build high trust in those informal relationships, you can say the wrong thing and people will still get what you were trying to mean. Mm-hmm. In a low trust relationship, you can be very measured, even precise, and they'll still misinterpret you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so true. And so this is this is even where that platform and table stuff comes, right? Like yep. you need to consistently be the same person in the platform as you are around the table. Mm-hmm. And you need to build trust as you pastor people, as you disciple people, as you shepherd people. And if you'll build trust, then when you inevitably misspeak, and you will, you will misspeak, it will happen. They'll they'll go with you. They'll trust you. They'll know what you were meaning, or they'll ask for clarification. But if you only do platform, if that's all you do is lead from the platform, then you're not engendering trust amongst your people just from the platform. That requires table leadership. And and if you don't build that trust, then man, and we've all seen it, it does not matter how clear you are. It will get misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. For sure, man. I got receipts. I can tell you stories. Absolutely, I've consulted that church, man. I've, yeah. I've been in there, right? Yeah. Where you say it, and you're so clear. I mean, you look back at what you said, and you go, "No, that I couldn't have said that any clearer." But they still <laughs> are going to misinterpret you. And so, just to tie this back in of how why it's so important to build trust around tables. Yeah, just look at your own marriage. There's probably happening. That's happening. Oh man, come on, come on. <laughs> Hey, let me give you three tips to building connections with informal permission people, right? Here's the first one. Spend time getting to know them on their turf, right? Whatever their turf is. It's their house. I had a a guy that was the, the gatekeeper, the king of informal permission getting. It was a guy named Claris. And and I would just go spend time with him at his kitchen table and would talk through things with him and and really began to appreciate him, even though we were like just complete polar opposites. 
uh, but we developed a strong relationship. So get to know them on their turf, whether that's kitchen table, the garden, the workplace, coffee shop, wherever it is. Second, dialogue about the church with them. Dialogue. Now, not monologue, not cast vision, not just dialogue, right? So dialogue is, hey, what do you think about where the church is? Or what are some of the things that are challenges that that you have faced in the past with the church? And what are you thinking we're facing now? Like asking good questions, right? They're getting that two-way dialogue going. That's super important because every church that has a new pastor knows most likely that that new pastor has vision and strategy and wants to do some things, but they're not quite sure they trust him yet, right? So it's really important to go in and and ask those questions and dialogue about them. Then I would say this, love them, man, love them. They're there for you. They are wanting to see the church often, want to see the church move forward. What they're not for is you just running loose and doing whatever the heck you want to do. (laughs) They're just not because they've spent time protecting the church, right? From possibly, you know, pastors who, for whatever reason, didn't have the best interest in mind and had an agenda in mind or were unwilling to work with them and develop a relationship. So they feel a sense of ownership and protection to and and in the right and in the rightest way that I, I could convey, not not in a Let's preserve it and not make any changes. But they just want the people in the church to to be well cared for, loved, and led well. And so they're for you doing that. So, man, love them, get to know them, and they'll start loving you. And then you'll build a relationship with an informal permission giver. And I think it'll go well for you. Yeah, I mean, this all ties in so well to the conversations we've been having about platform and table leadership. I would say the formal stuff is largely platform. Right. The formal stuff is not entirely in committee meetings and stuff like that is is when it's still it's kind of that from the platform type mentality and knowing that it's it's important to do that. But even understanding that it's it's really important to sit around the table and spend time getting to know people on their own turf, making it a dialogue and not a monologue and listening to them. And here's what I'd say is when it comes to informal permission. Let's make sure that we actually are listening to feedback, right? And that if this is not just let me convince everyone of what I think mm-hmm. needs to happen, but really do go with a loose grip and and be open to people improving the idea that you have because they have a different perspective and insight than you do. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a real value in not just getting permission, but getting their perspective as well. That's great. I love it. Don't just get permission, get perspective. And then that will really help you understand where they're coming from. And I think it will make the church and your make your leadership stronger, but it has the potential to make the decisions that you make together in a, in a, in a position of unity, even more God honoring and more profitable for forward progress. Hey, boot campers, we would love to hear back from you on your thoughts on this, what you've seen work and not work, any feedback, questions, pushback that you've got, cookie recipes, whatever you've got. We would also love to see you at the Replant Summit next month, replantsummit.com. You'll see the the schedule, the speakers, registration. The registration will probably, at the time that this podcast goes, be closing soon. And so make sure to go ahead and register for replantsummit.com. It's going to be a great time. Bob and I will both be there. We'd love to see you and get to meet you in person if we have not already. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches, big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.